Everybody wins. Everybody wins. (laughs) (laughs) You win by playing. It's the ultimate millennial participation trophy game. (laughs) Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 75. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We are into the prison epistles. Are you excited? I am. These (laughs) are awesome. Philippians is probably my favorite New Testament book and Colossians. I have always wanted to take a deeper dive into, which we're just kind of uh, skimming over or through pretty quickly today. But but man, there I, there's just there's just a lot in these prison epistles. Like a rock over a flat lake, we are just skipping along. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so we're in the book of Colossians and then moving as quickly into the tiny, tiny book of Philemon. And so, oh, which is also so good. Oh, yes. Well, of course it is. And so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that it's deceptively simple, but there is <laughs> such a different worldview happening behind that very little personal letter that happens between friends there. <laughs> I've been thinking as we've been reading these five chapters, I guess, this week about metacognition. <laughs> it's a it's a $5 word there for you. But it's just a, a fancy word for thinking about thinking. So I don't, I don't know if I'm thinking about thinking about thinking, something like that. But we've talked about it a bunch of times on the show before. Yeah, it's a favorite subject of both of ours, actually. It sure is. Yeah. And as Paul's telling the Colossians here to set their minds on things above, thought maybe it'd be a useful time for us to think about what we think about. And so let's talk about that in a little bit. Before we get to that, let us find Jesus here in week 33 of the End of the Book Bible Reading Program, Colossians and Philemon. Where do you find Jesus here? I find Jesus in one of the great Christ hymns of the Bible, one of the great, just glorious passages that I think I, I think probably was a hymn, either something that Paul wrote or that he's taking from just the Christian community that is just glorious and puts Jesus in the kind of tones that you really almost need to be singing to say them properly, but really beautiful. It exalts Jesus as the image of God and the ultimate cosmic ruler of everything. It's one of the great passages about Jesus, I think, in all the Bible. So I I just couldn't skip over it for our Finding Jesus segment. It's found in Colossians 1 verses 15 to 20, and I'm just going to read it, though again, I can't do it justice while I just read it here. (laughs) It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. How about that? Yeah, that's pretty deep, man. That's heavy. Yeah. Oh, man, it's such an extraordinary picture of Jesus. And it reveals him as the one 
being who accomplishes everything of importance in the universe, basically. You know, it's amazing that they're saying this about a person, Mm -hmm. a person that some of them knew, and yet they've come to see that he's more than just this really great guy. He is so much more that it takes this kind of lofty language to talk about it. It's the language of deity, of course. And I think of other world religions and how they talk about deities and the contrast here. In the Hindu religion, as I understand it, there are three main gods with three different jobs. Brahma, who's the creator, Vishnu, the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer. And so there's this trio of gods. I think there's a bunch of others, but these are the biggies that um, basically are the beginning, the middle, and the end, the the maker and the maintainer and the one who brings everything to its close. But here, in just these five verses, Christ is the one through whom everything was made. Mm -hmm. Not just everything in this universe, but all the powers and authorities, even all of those evil powers that oppose God. Of course, God didn't make evil. Jesus didn't make them evil, but he created them. And he made everything. But then also, he is the middle. He is the maintainer. He is the preserver. He is the one, it says, who holds all things together, The uni- all the molecules in the universe. He is the one keeping heaven and earth from falling into chaos. And then he's the great ender of all things. Except here, it isn't an ending of destruction. It is reconciliation. That is, even the judgment and tearing down that the Lord will bring is to bring about a total renewal, making things right. And, and that's such a cool, yeah, through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Quite a picture of Jesus. Yeah, I think that's definitely a an applicable finding Jesus <laughs> verse here. <laughs> it, it really is. And, and the hymn starts with just this little phrase. It says, he is the image of of the invisible God. And we're going to be talking about how can we see invisible things? How can we (laughs) set our minds on things above later on? And here there's this just just a way in. This is what Jesus came to do, to be, is the image. And the Greek word there is ikon or icon of God. Jesus is the icon of God. People in the world, I think, sometimes prefer their ideas about Jesus to their ideas about the God that the Bible reveals. People aren't so sure about, as they sometimes say, the God of the Old Testament or Mm -hmm. whatever. You know, people have these ideas about God, but they kind of like Jesus. And the thing is, if you're paying attention to Jesus, you can see the parallels to the God in the Old Testament. You can see it all over. But if you want to know what God is like, what this verse says is, look at Jesus and you'll learn. Mm -hmm. And it's just this this image that shows you what he's looking like, except Jesus is the ultimate perfect manifestation that reveals to us who God is. And of course, in him, the fullness of God dwells bodily. I'm pretty sure you should have gone second because I'm going to fall very flat against that amazing picture. From the great cosmic picture to something very practical. Okay. So I'm going to Colossians chapter 3 in verses 23 and 24. Where do I find Jesus? I find him in my boss. (laughs) What a boss. What a boss. All right. So verse 23 of Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, 
Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's not a thought that we have very often, but really, when I go to work, I am serving Jesus. And Mm -hmm. in a sense, I am answering to him rather than answering to my boss. And so I got to thinking about this. Actually, today, I had to take an ethics refresher course for my job. (laughs) So I went online and I took this 30-minute course that I just almost fell asleep during. But the questions that they asked here in this refresher course were, are you honest? Are you reliable? And do you follow the rules of the company? It just kind of had me wondering, like, like, what is a person who doesn't have any thought about ethics or some kind of standard think about questions like that? But for me, and for any disciple of Jesus, we should we should answer that with an obvious no-brainer. You know, it's just part of who we are. It's just interesting here that Paul is really concerned with how we portray ourselves to the outsiders, to people who aren't believers. He wants us to do our best in every aspect of our life, and that includes our jobs. And so my question that I get to ask in looking at this, thinking about Jesus as my boss, serving the Lord, working heartily, knowing that that I'm basically working for Jesus. Like, am I doing the best at my job? Am I giving myself completely to that work? Do I spend my eight or nine hours at work putting my faith into practice and letting people see that I'm a Christian, that I'm a believer? And do I see Jesus as the one who called that two o'clock meeting (laughs) rather than Dave, the middle manager? So you just got an iCal alert from Jesus. What are you <laughs> you gonna accept it? Here we go. I know it's a busy day, but he could have just sent me an email. Serve him as to the Lord. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's pretty good. Yeah, I I think uh, we've we talked what two weeks ago or not long ago about that idea of holistic discipleship yeah. of our thoughts, our hearts, and our actions all being aligned and doing the same thing. And this really, again, ties in with what we're going to be talking about at the end, about who we are now. Our whole life has changed, though you can't see that your life has changed. Everything has changed. And once you get that, then you have to constantly keep making the connection back to actions like these questions you're you're asking do and thinking and where your heart is and what your intentions are so you're you're constantly again doing the work like we say sometimes of both changing your being and changing your doing and those two are constantly being reconnected so that they're they're in alignment and I, I think that I'm sure there's some value in a 30 minutes ethics refresher course but <laughs> I just have to wonder, like you said, how how much can that really do if you haven't changed the being part, if you haven't had a whole new mindset towards these things? But once you change that, then these other things are kind of something you want to fall asleep during because it feels <laughs> so fundamental to who you are at a, at a much deeper level. So pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty cool that uh, my boss is the creator of the universe. So that's <laughs> that's awesome. All right, let's get into our second segment here, which is scripture du jour. What is the soup du jour? It's the soup of the day. Mm, That sounds good. I'll have that. So we are in Colossians 4, the end of Paul's rather short but pretty dense letter to the Colossians. This last chapter doesn't, I don't think, I'm just going to categorize it in terms of the other chapters. It doesn't really pack as much of a punch as maybe chapter Mm 3 or maybe even chapter 2. 
and obviously chapter one. All the other chapters really kind of pale in comparison. <laughs> wow, that's bad. <laughs> but we're going to cover it anyway here because it's Thursday of our End of the Book Bible reading program. So what do you find from this chapter that really is useful for you? I'm, I'm just so disappointed that I can't talk from chapter three or chapter two or chapter one. But I'll go ahead and pull something out from chapter four. So, uh, yeah, I think as you alluded to earlier, there is this buildup of uh, a theme of this transformation, our new identity, because Jesus is something and someone totally different and so exalted. And then therefore we now, as we have been renewed into Christ and in union with him, we are someone completely different. Mm -hmm. And then that's meant to be reflected in how you deal with your boss, as you said, and then how you just interact with everyone. And so I was thinking about this question, what does it mean to use your influence wisely? And Paul addresses this quite directly. In verses five and six here of Colossians four, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And there's kind of a lot in, in the, those two oh, yeah. verses. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I really love this term that Paul uses uh, a few times in the New Testament for people who aren't in the church, this idea of outsiders, outsiders. which sounds exclusionary maybe, but it is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they are outside of Christ. And they need to at least have the invitation, have the best chance to be insiders, to be welcomed into Christ. They are lost sheep and they're missing from where they need to be. And I always think of Pony Boy Curtis and Soda Pop and all those guys that are just cast out of society. Well, these are people who are who are outside of where they're meant to be that that. um true community in God. And so he says, whenever you interact with them, have wisdom. And they says, use your opportunities. Yeah. Think of these moments as something you can't get back. So buy the term literally is buy up every opportunity, pay whatever it costs to buy them so that you're not just throwing them away, like like throwing money down the tube. This is like cash and you want to use it to its maximum value, I guess. So to me, this gives a sense of ownership to every interaction because clearly he's not saying just make the best use of your time in any context. That's true. But specifically here, he's thinking about how you interact with people who are outside the Lord, outside the church. And so he wants you to take some responsibility for that conversation that we have over coffee or with your boss in that meeting or in between in the break room or at school, the school lunch table, whatever it is, and think of it as a moment to share the gospel and to in some way, even if you're not preaching a five point sermon to them, to in some way shine the light of Christ. And and then secondly, to make sure that the way we respond is personal. He says that you may know how you ought to answer each person. 
And there's a sense here of there's no canned one size fits all formula for evangelism in Paul's mind. It is meant to be, though it's the same gospel presented in this personal way that fits each situation, each conversation. You're going to want to have a starting point that invites them in. You're going to want to know something about them. And you can see as you read through the book of Acts how Paul does this with each person. You can see as you read his epistles how he talks about interacting with this group one way and that group a different way. I mean, he is flexible, not about what the truth of the gospel is, but in how he presents it. I think sometimes I have wanted to find that perfect answer that I could just pull out that silver bullet. I can shoot in any situation and just win people over. And it just doesn't work that way. So you have to just show up with grace, with some interesting thoughts, you know, interesting ways of presenting the gospel and with real attention to the person you're talking to. I love the visceral nature of how Paul describes this. You know what food tastes like when it doesn't have enough salt. And you know what oh, yeah. you know what food tastes like when it has way too much salt. There's a certain amount to put on there. And if you go over that, it's going to be off-putting. If you go under that, it's going to be off-putting. You know, we all kind of know what it's like for something to be just the right amount. And that's definitely wisdom there. It's discernment. It is really having to think about each interaction, making the best use of each of those interactions. And on the live stream, Don Johnson's mentioning Ephesians chapters four and five. Definitely. You go to Ephesians Mm -hmm. five and verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I mean, that is exactly what Paul's talking about here. Really, it's just knowing what to do in every situation. And I've heard I've heard it said you can tell a lot about a person by how they treat the waitress at the restaurant. Yeah. I, I really think even that, like you are not going to sit down and have a, you know, hear, believe, repent, confess your sins, be baptized kind of conversation with the waitress at the restaurant every time you go somewhere. But you can treat them well. And you can be gracious and you can just use every little moment to be a good influence and to be positive and to brighten their day. I mean, even if it isn't leading them to come to know Christ, you're still able to be a reflection of Christ in the world. And that may just be a small interaction, but using those times and like you said, buying them, just absolutely paying it all for each one of those moments. And that takes investment and thought and don't throw them away because they're never going to come back again. Yeah, and that makes you want to maybe nudge past just being kind a little bit more mm-hmm. than than you normally would. Maybe maybe there's a seed that you're going to plant. Maybe there's an invite card or something that you're going to give. Or maybe you think about how I can come back. I can, you know, start something, say something, and I'm going to come back and bring, you know, she mentioned something that she loves. I'm going to come and and bring that back, a a gift for her or a thought for her or follow up and say, hey, I've been praying about this thing you brought up. How did it work out? And you're just kind of building what you can. You can see how creative Paul is (laughs) in all of his interactions, how creative Jesus is using every interaction and every moment to to nudge people towards really thinking about their lives and maybe, maybe being interested enough for that deeper conversation. Well, there's planting and there's watering. And 
I think the watering part of it, sometimes we overlook and just thinking that we only need to plant. But like you said, coming back and thinking about how to build on that first interaction, I think is has a lot to do with watering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to go to the end or near the end here of Colossians 4. You know, and I give, I'm not giving Colossians 4 a hard time. I'm just saying that there's a lot here. I'm, I'm, I'm backpedaling now. I want to explain myself. You know, at the very end of Paul's letters, how sometimes he talks about this person says hi and that person says hi. And there's a lot of things yep, yep. kind of like the genealogy where you, you just kind of gloss past it because I don't know that person or whoever. But actually, there's an interesting person mentioned here in verses 12 and 13, and that's Epaphras. If you know about Epaphras, you, ha- you would have read about him on Monday in chapter one. But Paul mentions Epaphras here, and he mentions something very specific about him that I want to key off of. And what I learned from Epaphras is that prayer takes real effort when you're invested. So Paul says in Colossians 4, verses 12 and 13, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. So Epaphras was apparently, if you go back to Colossians 1 verse 7, he was apparently the person who, I guess you could say, planted this church or who was instrumental in teaching the first converts there. And then you look at the next verse in verse 8 of chapter 1, and apparently it was Epaphras who's the one who tipped off Paul to this group of believers. And I think Epaphras is really the the guy behind the scenes doing a lot of the work here. And we don't know a ton about him, but he also pops up in Philemon. And next week in Philippians. Yes, absolutely. But Paul says that he's struggling in his prayers for them. So that's what I key off of here. He's struggling in his prayers for them. I don't think about prayer sometimes as struggling. And maybe I should. Uh, yeah. This word is the Greek word, and it sounds a, a lot like agonize. Mm-hmm. And so this word is about competing and fighting and making an effort. You know, you don't put in effort to something unless you're really invested, unless you're really dedicated to it. And Epaphras is the kind of person who is spending and being spent, like Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 12. He's he's out there. He's putting himself out there, and he's working really hard for this group. And I just ask myself, when I read verses like this and see the example of people like this, do I care about the church that I'm part of like Epaphras did? Am I really invested like Epaphras was? Am I actively battling on my knees with specific requests for my brothers and sisters to become mature like he prayed for? And really, how hard am I working for others? How, how much work am I doing? Not only work, but also work in prayer. How much am I putting in? for other people. And Epaphras is a great example. If you want to look at somebody who is doing a lot behind the scenes, he he does get credit for it here, but there's probably a lot that Epaphras did that nobody ever knew about. This is such a helpful verse. I I really appreciate you pulling that out because I think many of us, certainly I am always looking for insight and help in just the practical matters of prayer and how I should view it. What are, for lack of a better word, some of the appropriate flavors <laughs> to have bring into prayer? You know, uh, there's a lot of different 
kinds of prayer and different kind of attitudes. And you don't end up, if you're just even praying through the Psalms or praying through uh, the prayers of Jesus and Paul and different ones in, in the New Testament, the book of Acts, you see all of these different kinds of prayers. But sometimes prayer does feel like a struggle. And I think there's more to this, of course, than just this idea of like having difficulty focusing or difficulty really doing the work of prayer. But I, I think there's something in here that tells us it's not like it it always needs to be a light from heaven shining down and this happy feeling that you have. Sometimes prayer is really wrestling to try to to fight for someone yeah. and for something and to just keep at it and you work at it. Just like whenever you're lifting weights or training for a marathon, there's that point where you just are struggling and you're fighting to keep going and to give it your all. And that is a part of what intercessory prayer, especially, I think, is. It's praying for everyone. I've been doing this thing where I've been praying through the directory a lot with the congregation in some videos, but it is, I, I wonder sometimes if people are growing tired of kind of that work of just 15 minutes of praying for four people, you know, or four families as you're kind of working through it. But it is, that's what we do, especially when we think of the faith of people. And as we're concerned about someone, you know, all these young people right now, are leaving us here to go off to college and you love these people, you know, you know, these young people and you get concerned because you know what, how hard it's going to be when they get out there. Not that I don't have faith in them, but it makes you want to struggle for them that <laughs> much more as you're thinking about their faith. So I really appreciate this passage. Really good. We've all had people in our lives, I'm sure, where if we could grab the remote control and push a few buttons so that they would do exactly what we know they need to do, we would grab that remote control and take over. Yeah. But we just, in so many cases, have no control over what people do. And I'm sure Epaphras is looking at this church and just, like Paul talks about here, wanting them to become mature, wanting them to fully see this amazing plan that has been laid out to, to really understand the fullness of Jesus. And if they're not doing that, I can imagine why that is such a struggle because we just can't control people and we just can't make people do the right thing all the time. So, all right. Well, that's that. Let's uh, get into our third segment here on this episode. And we're going to talk a little bit about thinking about thinking, mostly focusing on Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4, setting our mind on things above. So before we get into this whole thing, why don't you go ahead and read this for us, and then we'll talk about it. So Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I like the metaphor you just used of taking the remote and changing the channel. And while we can't really do it for other people, there's something to this passage where we need to be able to take the remote of our own thoughts and yeah. change the channel 
to set it on that frequency of things above. Tune in to what's happening there and who we are from that divine perspective. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I think that this there's a lot happening here, starting with this change. What do you think Paul is trying to get across that has happened to them that now he wants them to change their thinking? Well, you know, he starts this out by saying, if then you have been raised with Christ. So who's been raised with Christ? That's really the question. If they have given themselves to the Lord and been filled with his spirit and gave themselves in baptism and been raised up with Christ, now they are expected or required to think about different things. You know, it's no longer about thinking about your old life of sin. And, and he's going to talk about that. It's no, no longer enough to think about all the old stuff that you did as the old man. And if you go back to the previous chapter, it's no longer necessary for us to think about all of these traditions and all of these sort of external activities. The real change has to happen in your mind if you've been raised with Christ. Where Christ is is where you want to be. And so that's kind of where he starts this out. Yeah, it really requires you to rethink your present reality, to see something has already happened and you are something different. And if you are something different, okay, we'll start thinking like that different thing. You know, it's it's like a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, but still crawling along, along leaves instead of <laughs> learning to fly. You are something different. There has been a transformation. You can't go back to acting like a caterpillar. We need to put that on a motivational poster. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Maybe a cat hanging onto a rope and then a caterpillar picture on the side. And oh. I'm, I'm not saying this is gold here that you need to hold on to, but... <laughs> no, but it is a change, right? But it really is. You have You are somebody different, but it's really hard to see that. It's hard because I feel like the same guy. You died, though. I, I died. I'm not the same guy. I'm risen. In fact, my life, he says, is now actually hidden with Christ in God. And there is there's a already change and there is a not yet change. And so what is not yet in verse four is Jesus hasn't appeared again when he does I'm going to appear with him. I'm going to transform. I'm going to be with him in glory in a different way. But already the change has begun. I am somebody different. It just doesn't look like it. And so now I have to start thinking with that otherworldly perspective. And that it really is hard to um, to do to lean into this because Paul doesn't just want you to believe this. He doesn't just want you to believe that you're different and that there is something in this realm that you can't see far away where you are already in a way reigning with Christ and already hidden with Christ. And there are things that you belong to that are beyond this universe. But he, he doesn't just want you to believe it. He wants you to live as if it's true. He wants you to yeah. think in a whole new way every day. I, I think sometimes, you know, when I think about that kind of internal transformation of my mind and what I think about, what I'm setting my thoughts on, I have this feeling, and I don't know, maybe you can relate to this, but when you think about heaven and you think about spending eternity in heaven, like how different do you feel like that's going to be from right now? And I think sometimes I feel like it's going to be some massive 
giant transition, which in a lot of ways, it is going to be huge. <laughs> it's going to change everything. But in, in a lot of other ways, like what we do, who we are, what we love, what we place value in, those things aren't going to change. We are now able to live with a mindset that will have an eternity. We can set our mind on things that are above, that are heavenly. And when we get there in that eternal home that we'll be in someday, that mindset's never going to change. And mm -hmm. it's so encouraging to think that we can bring in just like a little bit of a way, like Philippians 4, 8 talks about, we can bring something from heaven down here. And mm -hmm. living today like, like I really was in eternity, without care, without fear, without distraction, and choosing what I'm going to dwell on, choosing what I'm going to focus on, choosing not to get involved in all the petty trivialities of life, thinking really seriously all the time about better things. And I think it's kind of like what Jesus talked about, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Like, where is our heart? Where is our treasure? Like, what do we value? And it's not really going to change that much. It's if we don't like thinking about heavenward kinds of things here on earth, why are we going to want to spend eternity thinking about them? Yeah, I mean, there is a mystery, certainly, to what life will be in that newly recreated universe or whatever is going to be there that the Bible talks about in a lot of different ways. And you get the sense there's a lot of metaphor going on to help us to try to understand it. Mm -hmm. And yet it is very clear that there is a continuity between who you are now and who you will be. Mm -hmm. And so much of what we do now, like you said, is what we'll be doing then. The good part of it. You know, God created the first Eden here to be good mm -hmm. and to have good things. And he will create a new paradise. He, he has something for us to live in perfect harmony with him. And I, I've been thinking that same thing that you were, you were just talking about of how can I live now on earth as I will in that final reality? How can I bring the values, the practices, the worshipful spirit, the kind of submission to God and all his greatness as the king over those things in this current time, which is not yet renewed, right. is all around me. There is a tension that it takes for me to li live that way, for me to try to have an unhurried, unpanicked, unangry, unsinful <laughs> interaction in every way to, to try to bring that kind of spirit to the person that I'm talking to, to my task, to the Sunday morning worship service we're in, where I'm juggling 17 things and trying to keep the Zoom thing going and trying to, <laughs> how can I, how can I, in the tension of all these things that are realities and are not wrong, how can I still keep my, my spirit and my heart focused on things and my mind set on things above and living in that eternal life kind of way. And um, it's not about having this ethereal, otherworldly, you know, sitting in lotus position <laughs> on a hill somewhere kind of life. Paul is talking about how you do your job, how you work as a slave, how you interact with your parents, yep. how you interact with people. This is the kind of thing that shifts whenever we have our, our mind set on things above. It is not easy either. And I think that's one <laughs> of the reasons why he uses the word seek here. Yeah. I mean, seeking 
for the things that are above, it's going to take effort. You're not just going to slip naturally on a banana peel into things that are above. Like you're going to have to search them out and look for them. It's not just going to come naturally. But when you do find yourself in that mindset of thinking about good and lovely and pure things, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to have a bad attitude when you're really thinking about where you will be someday and the hope that you Mm -hmm. do have in Jesus and his power to raise you from the dead. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's hard to slip into that quagmire, so to speak, the sinking sand of the trivial stuff that goes on today. And praise God that there is not going to be 24-hour cable news in heaven. (laughs) And if if I am so glued to that, or if I'm so glued to anything else that just seems to consume my time and my attention then am I really seeking the things that are above? Not to say that any of those things are bad or wrong, but you know that if you're filling up your every waking thought with all of these kinds of things, there's no room for the things that are above. There's no room for all of those good and transformative thoughts that really could be there if that's what you're focused on. Yeah, that goes to that cost we talked about last week. What cost are you willing to pay in order to think on the Philippians 4, 8 things and dwell on those? What are you willing to give up? Mm-hmm. What are you willing to let go of? Because everything, it's going to be something different for each one of us. But most things, including the good things in this world, can so easily be twisted and perverted into something, like you said, all consuming and that takes an idolatrous place, a place that it does not deserve. And evil forces that Paul keeps talking about in Colossians will use all of the things below to twist them into things that that steal your heart away from the things above. And so I think one of the things that we constantly need, in addition to kind of cutting out things and being willing to give those up, is being intentional about practices that allow us to both think differently and set our minds periodically on different thoughts and then to do <laughs> things that are different to to actually live in works of service and things that cost you something all of those things really uh help you i find to believe it more, <laughs> to live as if you believe it more, sure. to the, the phrase that I keep thinking about as I read this, and I don't know if it'll make sense to anybody else, but is to settle in to your faith, to like just kind of let all of the craziness just kind of sink down to the bottom and drop your guard and own this truth that this is the reality that you can't see. So start living that way and then keep kind of leaning into more and more living that way. And one of the practices that I've been doing lately that has really helped me is scripture memorization. Oh, yeah. And I haven't really given a lot of attention to that, honestly, in the last few years. And I have found that the more I just take a critical passage, a verse, a chapter, whatever, and and work on it, work on it phrase by phrase. I found that I can not only work on it from the mind, the intellectual standpoint of trying to do that rote memorization, but what that lets you do is kind of do that heart work 
of really meditating on these passages because you're thinking about them all the time and you have them in your mind so you don't have to leave them behind whenever you're cooking something or driving somewhere or whatever. You can just keep thinking about it phrase by phrase, piece by piece. What did Jesus mean by that? What does that mean in my life? And so that's another way to let your mind think on these things that are above. I like that same thought applied to singing. Mm -hmm. One of the great reasons why singing is so powerful is just because it lets you take with you throughout your day in a nice portable, stick it in your back pocket kind of way, the word of God. And Mm -hmm. singing songs, I think, is a great way to keep your mind in the right place. I like that you said settle into your faith. I didn't get a chance to say anything, but when I think about that, I think the beanbag chair of faith. <laughs> it's not like the the really hard, uncomfortable chair of faith. You know, it's not the, I'm not really mm-hmm. comfortable being here. It's just really immersing yourself and planting yourself in this kind of way to think yeah. and way to act. And there's so many things we can do. Like you talked about, memorizing scripture is a big one. But even for myself, I've found that every day, if I can not only read the Bible, which I think is is what these daily Bible reading plans that hopefully all of us are doing right now are helpful in in promoting that kind of yeah. thing. But but even sitting down every day and being grateful for something. You know, what am I mm-hmm. grateful for today? What am I going to think about today in in terms of like all these daily devotionals that are out there? Like, how can I spur myself into thinking in new and deeper ways? How can I, you know, how can I really fill my mind with what the Lord wants me to. But then on the other side of it, you're not alone in all of this. And I think you brought that out just a little bit, but getting involved with other people, talking to people, yes. having conversations. It's real easy for me to talk about the 118 degree weather that we had today with somebody, but wouldn't it be more impactful if I shared with them what I found from a reading that I did today or yeah. shared with them a song I've been singing or shared with them, whatever, like just find an opportunity or shared with them that waitress in the coffee shop who I had an opportunity to talk to today and maybe ask them to pray for her or whatever it is. I mean, just looping other people in is mm-hmm. a huge way of settling in to that beanbag chair of faith, I guess. Yeah, it's kind of going with what we talked about earlier with outsiders, whether you're with outsiders or you're with your spouse or with your brother or sister in Christ, whoever you're with, quarterbacking the conversation a little bit if it starts to go away from those things that are most meaningful, especially if it goes into something really unproductive, but but kind of nudging conversations towards those things above is a really great point. I was kind of thinking the same thing when you brought up gratitude journals. My wife and I play the gratitude game and we do it almost every day whenever one of us is really (laughs) having a hard time. We'll say, okay, gratitude game. Okay. And sometimes it's like a begrudging. If I have to. I'll do it. But man, if you don't walk out of that every time, uh, the gratitude game is very simple. We each have to say one thing that we're grateful for, and then it goes back. And we each say one thing we're grateful for. And pretty soon, after three or four rounds of that, you're just seeing everywhere around you how God is blessing you, how you have so much to rejoice in. And how even in the hardships, there are things that you can use to uh, bring God glory and to grow and things to rejoice in. 
But how do you win in the gratitude game is really what I want to know. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. (laughs) (laughs) You win by playing. It's the ultimate millennial participation trophy game. (laughs) I love it. Okay. So we've been talking about setting our minds on things above. Really, we've just scratched the surface. So let's close this thing out with a challenge. And I think you've got it for us. Yeah. Yeah. So going with what we were just talking about, about quarterbacking conversations. Blue 42. We want to encourage everybody to bring some grace and some evangelistic intentionality to your interactions with others this week. If you interact with that waitress or that boss or that coworker, bring that salt and that sense of Christ's graciousness towards them and try to buy that time, make the most of that opportunity. And if you're talking to a brother or sister in Christ, again, bring that kind of same kind of purposefulness to elevating the conversation and help both of you set your mind on things above. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode at BibleGeeks.fm slash 75. If you want to follow along with our Into the Book reading program, that's at BibleGeeks.fm slash Into the Book. And if you want to get in touch with us and tell us something you'd like to hear about on upcoming episodes, go to BibleGeeks.fm slash contact and drop us a message. And until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.